0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest episode of the Blues on Parade podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea, and of course, talk shit about everyone else. And today we're going to be talking shit about Wolverhampton, minus Diego Costa Andres. Um, so for those of you that are joining us, Sam is not going to be with us tonight. Um, so it's just me and Andy on the mic. So uh, I guess we'll kind of start there. Andy, how you doing, man?
1: I'm great, man. And for for once... In this fall, Chelsea and the Longhorns decided to show up and dominate. So my Saturday was absolutely fantastic.
0: I was, I was um, moping last week, or last weekend rather, and saying, I can't remember the last time we had a comfortable win. When I watched a match and had no anxiety or no stress for not just the entirety of the match, but at least that one half so i guess i guess i'll kind of start there um what a performance i mean there was really not much that wolves offered on the whole um but in terms of the of the blues i mean considering the squad was heavily rotated had guys coming in it was just a a very very well-rounded performance from damn near everybody that played so um, I guess we'll kind of start there with the starting 11. It did look like a 4-2-3-1. Andres, me and you kind of debated um, off the recording whether it was a back three or a 4-2-3-1, and then I looked at the heat maps and realized that you were right. It is indeed a back four. Um, Dave was just given a ridiculous license to move forward. So we had Kepa in goal. Um, Dave starting as the right back, replacing Reece James. Koulibaly comes in as a center back, um, next to uh, Chalaba, Chalabino. Um, and then we had Kukurea playing as our left back, and then um, a midfield pivot of RLC and Jorginho. In front of them, uh, the three being Mount, Gallagher, and Pulisic. Gallagher and Pulisic on either side of Mount, and Kai Havertz as the lone striker up top. So Andres, just give me your thoughts on the starting lineup, how you felt about it initially. Uh, was this the kind of rotation that you wanted to see coming off of a pretty intense match against Stacey Milan last week?
1: Hell no. Seven changes is absolutely insane. I was thinking three changes tops, something like that. But I saw this lineup and I was just completely baffled. I mean, Dave hadn't really left a good taste in our mouth the last time he played. Um, Jorginho recently has been a name that scares me a little bit. So those things didn't quite click then um i did not think we would see kai as a striker anytime soon by himself so that was just a bit mm-hmm. of a surprise i just thought that otter was going to go more traditional and go either Yang or just Broya. but i mean i liked the fact that it was a 4231 it's it's a formation and a, again formation is, doesn't mean too much but it was something that i'd been wanting to see and I, I thought RLC for sure deserved another start. Yeah. And I wasn't quite sure if Mount at this point should have played um, in this match.
0: Well, hindsight is twenty twenty. That's yeah. the beauty of it, right? Um, I, I agree with you, man. I didn't want Mason Mount to start this game. I'll just go ahead and say it. I, I thought, you know, based on his past few performances, I think Potter had a bit too long of a leash for him but um you know i guess he's making all of us (laughs) eat our words now right so so i mean we'll get to mount a little bit later i want to get into more detail about him but the main story of this game was like you said seven changes coming in um which is a lot for any any side um to go from one game to the next with seven different starters um but the role players were fantastic every single one of them that came in played a crucial part in the game. Some played better than others, in my opinion. The one that I thought, and, and you know, the the British Chelsea fans are going to love this, Christian Pulisic had an incredible performance, in my opinion. I thought he was very good on the left-hand side, playing in a more natural position of his. Obviously, he did get the goal early on in the second half, which I think that really kind of took the pressure off of the attack for the rest of the match, because Wolves weren't really offering anything, and I think... Getting that second goal pretty much was a nail in the coffin for them. Um, but again, scored a goal, brilliantly taken, a ridiculous pass from Mount on the spin. Ballistic knew the keeper was rushing, dinked it over him with his weak foot. That has to be said. Completed 28 of his 32 passes, had four shots in total in a key pass. So Andres, in his last or his only two Premier League appearances under Potter, he's had a goal and an assist. Um, so what do you think attributes the difference between Pulisic under Potter and Pulisic under Tommy Tuku?
1: I think there's two things that I've noted that at least this match made me think about. Obviously, number one, you're letting him play in a very left-wing-esque role in a 4-2-3-1, and you gave him um, a little bit of a freedom defensively, because Kukurea, we all know, is a effort machine on defense. So Mm -hmm. Polisic didn't have to do quite as much tracking back. And then the second part is you let him start and you let him grow into the game. I've, you know, whenever we were having the debates under Tuchel, who's the best front three and how do you deploy them and blah, blah, blah. blah, I always reference the fact that Polisic is always much better when he starts the match. And I thought in this match, his first half wasn't great i thought he was kind of like oh the ball would get to him and then ugh, he's just not doing enough the cross would come in he would give me a crappy left-footed shot like that so for potter to just kind of say hey just you're good come into the second half you're fine like i'm not going to pull you at halftime which was the usual thomas tugel dagger of like i'm mad at you gets pulled before the second half kind of thing so mm-hmm. for him to be able to come back in in the second half and at that point, continue to have the confidence to try and try again. You know, he tried the shot from distance that got saved by Jose Saw. And then minutes later... Ridiculous have,
0: save, by the way.
1: Yeah, great save. I, 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 don't think, then, I don't think a lot of
0: other keepers in the league save that.
1: He, he's a big guy. So yeah. if, Like props to him on that save. And, and again, he, he was allowed to do the type of attacking he likes. You know, you start wide, you start with a 1v1, and then you dribble at the opposition. Um, The last thing, any time that I could see Pulisic getting the ball, where was he facing? The opponent's goal. It's something we rarely saw under Tuchel, and I think this doesn't just apply to Pulisic. I think it's something that we see now a lot in the attack, but it is something that night and day helps him do what he does best, which is driving with speed. So... Again, getting that familiarity on the left and and not feel like you have such a tight leash because you're not a typical striker. I think those are the two big ones. Um, The the fact that it was a lot to grow into it.
0: The second one is it for me. I think under Tommy Tuchel, the directions were so strict. And the focus of his game, and this has been proven after his sacking, was ball retention. Not giving it away in cheap areas. Um, and for that, when you tell an attacker that the priority is ball retention, I mean, you're basically putting shackles and handcuffs on him, right? And I think what Potter's done is, okay, I'm going to coach you guys in the final two-thirds of the pitch. You're professional footballers. If you see space, run into it. If you're in a 1v1 and you're a wing player, take them on. And I think we saw a lot of that in this game. It was more vintage Pulisic, similar to how we saw him against Frank, Right. Against Frank, we, we saw him arriving later into the box, or late into the box, a lot. That was sort of his trademark, almost, where, you know, the striker would suck up two of the center backs, and Pulisic would kind of drift into that space that the other center back leaves. And, you know, he had a really good chance in the first half that he skied with his left foot, um, probably could have done a little bit better with that. I think if, he's, if he has match fitness, he probably puts that on target, maybe not in, but at least on target. Um, but for me that's the biggest change i think it's potter letting these guys do what they do once they get into the attacking third it's having that faith in them of okay if you see a run or you see space or you see a potential 1v1 situation that you can take advantage of you have the green light you don't have to look at me every five seconds to see if it's okay if i can take this guy on or to see if it's okay if i can make this run into the box um so more power to him. Honestly, this is probably the my favorite thing about Potter, just as a manager in general, is that he doesn't overcoach. Um, and that's very important, of course, you know, especially at this level when you have top-notch players like Pulisic, who really should be getting a little bit more game time. But, you know, now that we have Raz in the team, he's obviously going to be the first choice at that position. So Long may it continue. I think Pulisic can really solidify a solid role here as potentially our biggest impact attacking sub. Him alongside Broja, I think those two guys are just going to be super subs for the rest of the season. And it's not a knock on either of them. I think that's a, that's a, that would be a great role for both of them because, as I said, he had an assist to Gallagher against Palace, and now he has a goal here against Wolves. So there is absolutely no reason for Potter not to put a little bit of faith in him. Um, is there anything else you want to add about Pulisic uh, before we move on here?
1: Nah, again, I thought it was a good good game, especially when he hasn't started for Chelsea in, in quite a while.
0: So I don't have his name listed here. I, I, I forgot to mention him on the on the script. So for those of you listening, do not kill me. Armando Broja. he obviously comes in. Um, doesn't get the start, which I thought was a little bit surprising. But man, oh man, I said it in the group chat right when he scored the goal, even before the memes came out. That was a Diego Costa goal. That is exactly what we've been missing this entire time. Um what did you make of his appearance and how did, how important is him scoring that goal and sort of getting the getting the pressure off of his back for lack of a better word?
1: I I see I don't even know if there was any pressure there because he's been like the best like anytime that he steps on the pitch as a sub he's been fantastic. I think I think he's more than earned that goal and for it to not be like a silly tap in off a rebound or something and and be something he created uh, props to him. Again, I think he's been very, very proactive with the minutes he's had. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I thought he was already the second choice. Like I said, seeing Kai start was, was a bit of a surprise, but you know, there's rumors. And again, it's the sun, so I'm not going to take it you know, like it's truth, but that Yang's already thinking of his next move next year. Yeah. And it's one of those things where like, Yang can score 20 goals this season, I'll be happy. But if Broya continues in this trajectory, then we're going to let that man walk. That's how confident I feel about Broya. I don't think there was pressure. I think this dude is eating up his minutes and he's going to continue to make Potter have to make a tough choice. Obviously, there are going to be things that a veteran like Yang will get Correct over Broya, but I think that this guy just like you said in in terms of what Diego Costa did is he doesn't wait for something to come to him and and this might be more of a testament of what he did in the other matches compared to here, but that is so important for somebody that plays the number nine position and potentially in the systems we've seen so far as a lone number nine. So. I'm happy for the guy. I'm very happy for him. Obviously, it meant a lot to him, and it was a quality, quality shot at the bottom right corner. So, yeah.
0: Isn't it weird that it, I was thinking about this today, actually. This time last year, even before the window closed, this was, what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, um, we were talking about not having any informed strikers, and now we have three of them that are scoring goals all of a sudden just like that um but like you said i think i think if anything that's a good thing having that, that having that competition in a squad is is incredible and i think kai scoring makes makes it even sweeter um you know the fact that broya and abamying are were, we're both you know on it so far and now that kai's gotten his goal maybe that spurs his confidence a little bit maybe he gets a couple more performances where you know he nicks a goal for us and you know, starts to look a little bit better and gets that confidence in him. I think I think Kai looked a little bit more relaxed. I guess we'll kind of move on to him now. Um, and obviously, he finally scored a debate whether or not it was an intentional floated header or not. I watched it a thousand times, and I'll be the first one to put my hand up and say that I thought it wasn't intentional in the beginning, but after watching it, his only option was to kind of loft it over the keeper because there wasn't enough whip on the ball for him to get the power on it that he needed. It was more floated towards him. So um, it was a great goal. And I'm not going to take that away from him, but outside of that, Andy, I didn't see much else from him.
1: I mean, it's a typical thing, right? Like he just doesn't, again, he's not a striker at the end of the day. Like I just spoke about Broja, and anytime he's on the field, like he has this like head down, get to work. I'm going to find my way into the box with or without the ball. And that's not Kai. Like at the end of the day, that's not Kai. He had a couple chances in the first half where I thought, okay, you can do better than that. I think you're, we're giving him too much credit. Thinking that that was exactly what he wanted to do with the header. Because time and time again, this season, he has missed headers over net, like I've never seen him head or something down like a bullet. Like he's not.
0: He doesn't attack the ball, does he?
1: No, no, no. And so yeah. I'm very happy for him to score. I think that. Did he do enough? Probably. I think that the, the team deserved that goal in the first half for sure. Um, And so I'm happy he got a, a goal because I think he does need to play confidently. I think I'm not sure if you were on the on the pod where we discussed all these in kunku rumors to me he needs to step up because there may be a guy coming that plays the exact same positions he does and something tells me that you know data analytic driven todd bowley isn't going to be too happy about having two potentially over 60 million uh Pound signings, and one of them, you know, forcing himself into a team, and the other one just kind of like not doing anything to stand out. Yeah. So, to me, this is his year to challenge himself personally to get those tangible stats. Like, we cannot have Kai just have two games when we're struggling where he looked good and then he disappears into nothingness again.
0: Yeah, I think this is his last season to kind of step up and show us what he's made of. Otherwise, he's back to the Bundesliga, to be completely honest. Because, because, I mean, if you look at his body of work, yeah, he scored the Champions League winning goal. We all know that. But guys, that was over two years ago. We got to get over that. Um, I think, if anything, if he doesn't perform this year, clubs like Real, the Barcelonas, the PSGs, they're not going to be looking at him. I think Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich might because he's proven yeah, in that hey, league. but the
1: World Cup is coming up.
0: Yeah, yeah, and he does play well for Germany. We got to give him that.
1: At the end of the day, like, maybe he – we just talked about having informed strikers, and maybe this whole thing with Yang trying to sell himself to PSG is true, and we decide to keep playing Kai because he's scoring, and who knows? Maybe Kai does decide to give a shit, or at least look like he gives a shit when he plays the nine he is so calm always and he just scores a lot who knows my point is like i personally think that he like everyone around him is taking the next step we're having daily conversations about reese james being the out and out best right back in the world we are now when we'll get to him because credit is credit deserved mason mount being back and being key component to this team like these guys around him that are around his age are making the next move, the next step to use other people that are around his age. Phil Foden is scoring and assisting a shit ton of goals now, which yeah, was Saka, Martinelli. Saka scoring against Liverpool today. Like, people around him who were not touted...
0: or No, no, it was Liverpool, sorry. Yeah,
1: yeah. right, and, it, and they weren't touted to do what Kai, like everyone was saying Kai is Mbappe-Holland levels. And obviously, those guys are the next, you know, great duo to to lead football into the next generation. But you paid seventy million for this guy. It's time to pay the piper. Like Kai needs to start showing out. I don't yeah. think he need like if, if everyone around him is adapting to the manager this quick, he too needs to start doing this more. It has to be consistent. Like yeah. um, I think I was listening to to football daily they they do a sunday vibes and they were just talking about how young players they'll do this thing where they get better 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 and then they stay and they flatline but they flatline at a high level because they're now proving that they can be consistently good yeah we don't just see that we need the increase to come and then stay it can't be up down up down up down anymore because he's been in the league now under his third manager now like This is now, what, full, his third, going into his third season? Mm -hmm. Like, we need, this is it. So, he played great. Like, he had a good game. He got his goal. I know Bone Daddy, cool things he deserved. He probably needed three. I agree. I still think he does not take his chances as well as he should. But I'll take one because it was a very important goal to go into halftime with. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Sorry about that, Ron. I meant to ask your question, um, but we kind of answered it in the course of speaking about Kai. Um, I want to move on to Connor Gallagher. Um, I guess he's kind of set the tone early in the match uh, with with a nice little tackle and saved the ball from going out of bounds. Like literally, I think it was in the first minute. And that got the whole crowd jeered up. And you could even hear it on the TV that, you know, that little bit of effort set the tone or at least got the crowd going. So. Another ridiculously good performance from him. Um, Three key passes, three successful crosses completed, created one big chance. But for me, Andres, he was really good defensively, and he helped out a lot. Two clearances, two interceptions, and five tackles um, while he was being deployed as an attack-minded player uh, up the pitch. So he was playing to the right of mount, but I did notice that he dropped back defensively to help out Jorginho and RLC, um, especially because... You know, Dave was just bombing down that right hand side. They were yeah. giving him all the space in the world in the first half, especially. Yeah. Um for me, I think he's one of those players that you add to that list where every single time he plays, he's getting better and better. And you can see that it's starting to click with him. He's really starting to understand Potter's ideas. He's starting to understand his role in the team. Um, and with that being said. I do think that his versatility is probably his most his biggest asset as a player at this point in time, at least, because he's able to sort of play this pseudo box to box eight slash attacking midfielder or ten. Um, but we do know how Potter lines his teams lines his teams up. Um, they are somewhat unpredictable. He does chop and change the formation a lot. So with that being said, Do you think with all the chopping and changing that's going to be happening in the future, is his role going to change from match to match? Or do you want to see him being this pseudo 8-10 that I was talking about?
1: No, I I don't think his role is going to change very often because I think it was was lazy of Tuchel to assume that because the word engine was thrown around a lot for, for Gallagher and the fact that he had high defensive numbers meant that he could do not as good, like my think, bear with me, a not as good version of Conte in a in a double six. Yeah. I thought that was extremely lazy because Connor Gallagher defends from the front. If we used to praise Mason Mount for for pressing, Connor Gallagher does it at another at another level and does it for a full 90. Like the way that he defends from the front is ridiculous. And yeah, his defensive work, you said, that's what impresses you. Dave is geriatric when it comes to tracking back. And he didn't have to worry about it because Connor Gallagher is that good at chasing down and, and doing the, the cleaning up. So to me, no, I don't think his role is going to change, especially because we have Reese James. So you don't need Gallagher. To be a wide attacking right. Like in a 4-2-3-1. Our 4-2-3-1 on the right side. Is allowed to be narrow. Because Rhys James exists. And in yeah. the moment that Reese James could potentially get caught too deep. That's when Connor Gallagher is there for. So to me. This is what we're going to continue to see. I don't think he'll be deployed in the middle of a four-two-three-one Because I think that the creativity is a little bit more. Uh, more of a complex thing that I think you slowly add to his game. Plus, we have a we have Mount, we have Kai, uh, even Sterling could be deployed there. So I, I, or excuse me, not Sterling, Ziyech, who actually got a few minutes there, and he is still part of this team and, and got minutes today. So, yeah. to me, I think that a right sided eight slash ten, like you said, is gonna be where he's gonna be. Mo- he looked comfortable. He was overlapping in the, in those positions. He was putting in good good crosses. Found his space as well in the box to combine. I think that's it. I think that's exactly where you're gonna want Connor to to be playing. So, no, I don't think it's gonna change match to match.
0: I mean, I I could definitely see him playing as a ten if needed. Um, I wouldn't say that's necessarily his best position, but to be honest with you, long term, I do think that he is gonna be in a very similar role. what mason mount plays not necessarily as a as a right winger and a front three or anything like that but the ability to play behind a striker pick out passes and one thing we saw with Connor gallagher that i want mount to do more is to shoot from outside of the box i mean if you're so freaking technically brilliant why don't you use it to your advantage more often so i mean i think if anything he is going to be playing in this eight slash ten role but I could see him being played as an out and out cam if we absolutely need him to. Um, so it's not—I don't think that's too far fetched to say. But I, I do agree with you for the most part. I think—I think his role is re- going to be relatively similar from match to match. Um, the last one I actually have on, or actually second to last one I have on this list is Dave. We did mention him earlier. He was rotated in for Reese James, and this was a performance that looked like he turned back the clock. I mean, wolves it's made huge. him look—the wolves made him look really good. Um, three key passes, completed or attempted six crosses. He probably should have had an assist on one of those. And uh, I mean, he was everywhere on the right hand side. So this is me personally. I'll be the first one to say that he looked cooked in his last few appearances, especially under Tuchel. Um, but if we can keep using him as a sort of bit part player and rotate him in for Reese whenever we need to. As long as we're putting the protection in front of him like a Connor Gallagher, as you mentioned, or another sort of you know box to box slash workhorse type midfielder, I think we'll be able to get something out of Dave this season. Um, so my question is this, if we do use him as a rotational player. Do you think this kind of form or these kind of performances from him can be sustainable because. Granted, he's not going to have the match fitness like another player that's playing week in and week out, but the guy's a veteran. He's been around the league for a long time. Those guys, you don't really necessarily need to give them three or four matches before the wheels start moving. They, can, they really just need the first 15 or 20 minutes of a match to sort of get into the groove of things because they are so experienced. So is this sustainable, or do we still need that cover on the right-hand side that I've been the biggest advocate for?
1: I... Here's the thing, wolves is trash.
0: Yeah, they're garbage.
1: So, so I want first off, I want to say fantastic performance from Dave. Like, not seeing Reese James in the starting eleven almost gives me like a mini heart attack. But then Dave comes out and absolutely balls out. And we talk about turning back the clock. I I want to just put it to like call a spade a spade. That was the most comfortable he's ever been on the ball. Period. In the past three seasons, I don't yeah. think Dave usually gives me that feeling that he can dribble or put in. Like he does well with those like floated back posts, like early crosses from like when he used to play that right center back position. But mm-hmm. fizzing it across the box the way he was doing today, a la Reese James, was extremely surprising. And I wanna give him credit for that. Now, in terms of like doing this often, I think you have to pick your battles wisely. I don't I don't think we're gonna be seeing Dave like Play against a team that's going to be having a, a pacey in form winger by any means, even if Reese may need the extra break. Like, I don't see that. I think that there are going to be teams that are, we know are going to sit back and park the bus, and we're going to continue to see pockets of, uh, you know, within the calendar year of, of congested scheduling where Dave's going to have to play. Yeah. I think. This
0: month, even like leading up to the World Cup, we play twice a week.
1: We yeah, we're still we have a game again on Tuesday and then we have a game again this weekend and it's going to happen until early November. So is Dave going to get to play again? Yeah, of course he is. I just don't think you'll see him in the big games at all. And, you know. Call me crazy and maybe it's a little bit. um, Too too early to think about this or, or. Perhaps a little bit optimistic, but a certain Tina Liebermento has a callback next summer or a buyback clause that activates. It's a good show. And, and at the end of the day, I think we will let Aspie ride off into the sunset because he'll get to, hopefully, I don't know if we've ruined his World Cup chances, but if he gets to go, he'll get his World Cup and then he can go play wherever the hell he wants to. And that would be deserved. I don't think this... One match makes me think that Aspie has two more full seasons at Chelsea, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I just mean it as he played well, and that is what he's supposed to do this year. When he gets a call, he needs to come out and perform. We can't have the performance levels he had under Tuchel and and the first Graham Potter match where it's just dire. We can't have that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree for the most part. I think... As long as we're using him in a rotational sense, we'll be okay. On the whole, at least. I mean, there's going to be the hiccups along the way, because he doesn't have any pace anymore. And then, in terms of his cross, like you said, it's hit or miss. He's either bang on it, and he's serving up dimes, or he's just absolutely terrible. So, I want to move on. This is the last role player, I promise. It's probably my favorite out of all the role players that we talked about. It's Chalaba, Chalabino. Um... This is a guy that I thought got really, really tough treatment under Tuchel, but now he comes in under Potter, gets subbed in against Milan uh, for Fafana after his injury, and then obviously gets a start against Wolves. And it's now back to back matches where he's looked damn near flawless, dare I say. Um, on the game. He didn't really have much defensive work to do, but his numbers and his efficiency is ridiculous. He, his only mistake was that he missed or was that he lost out on one of his four duels. <laughs> he had a tackle, two interceptions, and three clearances. Completed ninety six percent of his passes. Completed two long balls as well. Um, you know, I think he's earned himself more game time. Even when Fafana comes back from his knee from his knee sprain, I think in a back three situation, if we're going to be possibly looking at a back three next season, I don't think it's crazy to say that you have a Koulibaly in the middle, flanked by Fafana and Chalaba. I would feel completely comfortable with something like that. But the reason why I love Chalaba Andres is because his phys- the physicality he brings to the game. He kind of reminds me of Rudiger in that sense where he'll go flying into a tackle if he absolutely needs to. And he's not yeah. scared to go chest to chest against an opponent that's, you know, pissing him off a little bit. He kind of has that Reese James about him. Reese James has that about him too. Um, but for me, I think he's the per- almost, not the perfect replacement but probably the most ideal replacement for a guy like Rudiger in the squad just based on his mentality and his skill set you know he can dribble the ball forward and progress that way he's also able to pick out a pass we saw him show off his range with his passing in this game too with the long balls I absolutely love the kid I I I want him to keep playing as long as he's playing well and and we had this talk last week play the hot hand whoever is in form just keep riding him out in those big games. So, I'll be pretty disappointed if he doesn't get the start against Milan. As long as we play a back three, if we decide to play, if we decide to play a back four, I think I think you go Koulibaly Kulabali and Thiago Silva maybe. Just you know, but that's based. not
1: sustainable. So he'll still get his minutes. I mean, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I, listen, says. I'm not opposed to it at all. I mean, my thing is. He didn't get the playing time he deserved under Tuchel after performing really well under Tuchel. Yeah. The, I don't even think it's a question, but he deserves more playing time, right?
1: No, and, and I'll tell you here. You told me all the reasons that you love Chalaba. I'll I'll keep it simple. 26 starts for Chelsea. 17 wins. 9 draws. 0 losses. And you can't tell me that he hasn't played in the big ones because. Mm. This man scored against Juventus in the Champions League. Like, we beat City twice when Chalaba was playing. Like, there is a reason. He brings that, like you said, that bit of old-school, just safe defending. That's it. The guy is solid. He's not going to try to dribble 30 yards as a freaking center back, lose the ball, that could lead to a goal. He's going to do his job, do it right, and that's it. And that's what you want from a defender. And, yeah, Fofana, it's unfortunate that he got hurt when he did, but all of us right there, and it's time. And I'm glad Potter is, is smart enough to realize that, you know, this dude has it, and he's playing well. Let him play.
0: This is another guy that I think can be a stalwart or a mainstay in our starting 11 for years to come. You know, once the Thiago Silva's and the Koulibalis sort of get phased out, I think this is a guy that has to be in the starting 11, especially if he continues on this trajectory. Because right now, I mean, we spent $70 million on a guy like Fafana. With the way Chalaba played in the last two games, you can make the argument that he looked like a £70 million pound player himself. So, you know, it's it's not crazy to say that this is a guy that we could see in the starting 11, five, six years from now, and point to him and say, this is probably one of our most consistent performers week in and week out. Those yeah. are just the facts. Um, Ron asked a really good question as we're moving on from Chalaba. Um, and this is something that you know I was conscious of during the match, but especially when I saw the starting lineup, I noticed that Sterling, our best attacker in Raheem Sterling, our two best defenders in Silva and Reese James, um, and arguably, our best midfielder in Kovacic all didn't start this game. And Ron asked a question. He actually raised it up one bit by including some other names. He said, How important is being able to bench Sterling, Silva, Alba, Chile? And I'm going to throw Kovacic in there also and still look so good.
1: I mean, for one, it just goes to show that Potter knows how to man manage because the fact that these guys. Who and we mentioned it, Polisic not really starting throughout the season, Gallagher only starting out of position, um, Chalaba ousted and barely given a chance in the back four. The fact that these guys can come in when 3-0 and not showed like a rust of not being match fit and all of that is speaks volumes. And then Otter said it himself. We should not put ourselves in a position where we have to play the same 11 over and over and over and over and over again until somebody breaks a bone, tears a muscle, and then you're scrambling because nobody else has done anything throughout the season, and now they have to be playing every single week.
0: That is one of my favorite things, sorry to cut you off, that he has ever said as our manager, by the way. I'm just throwing that out there.
1: In his long tenure?
0: (laughs) No, I mean, this is something that I wish Tuchel would have admitted I mean, this is one of those things where I felt like he was so stubborn about it, where we are going to play a 3-4-3 whether you like it or not. I don't care if Reese is there. I don't care if Chilwell's there. I don't care if Conte's there. I don't care if we have a striker that can't score goals. He was, was, I know it's a cliche and it's used so often, but Tuchel was the epitome of putting square pegs in round holes. RLC was playing as a wingback under him. Not to say that that wasn't the right call, but there's so many other names that you could mention of players playing in just weird-ass positions, like starting Reese James as a center back in one of the most important games of our year, like playing Pulisic as a, as a defensive-minded wingback, mind you, in that system. Potter comes in, and, and he identified the issue almost right away. It doesn't really take a genius to see that the mistakes Tuchel was making were towards the end of his tenure to be fair to him borderline elementary right like we were looking at some of the lineups and and some of the team selections towards the end there and thinking what the hell is he doing you know like a a a a a cou- a, a fan sitting on his couch can put out a better 11 than some of the 11s he put out towards the end and potter comes in and says no this was the issue under Tuchel. He kept playing the same damn system. He kept playing the same damn players. And when those players got injured, there were no solutions. There were no ready-made solutions for him. Um, and Potter comes in and says, No, I'm going to chop and change the system based on the personnel, based on the team that we're playing, You know, based on the attacking threat of the other team and the defensive threat of the other team. I'm going to adapt the way we play. And one thing I just want to throw out there is last week on the pod... I predicted that Graham Potter would put out an attack-minded lineup. A lineup that looked like it was going to score a lot of goals. And granted, the starting lineup, at first glance, before the ball was even kicked, didn't look like it was attack-minded. He proved me right by the end of the game. Because we could have had five or six. And the chances were coming thick and fast. I think we created more chances in this game than any other game in recent memory under Tuchel bar the Juventus match where we just absolutely smack them. So I'm just throwing that out there. Um you know we'll get the grand potter in a bit. You know, there there is a little love fest section I have for him. But before that, gotta give a love fest to Mason Mountman. And it's been long overdue that he put in a man of the match performance. Um, he was brilliant the entire time he was out there. I think he played 72 minutes or something, something around there. Um but obviously had the two assists, five key passes two shots, and uh, completed two out of his three dribbles. He also won three of his duels. For me, this is the role that I want to see Mount playing. You know, I I know I've said that he can play in a double pivot. I still think he can, as long as it's a defensive-minded player next to him. But beside the point, I think him playing behind a striker and flanked by two attack-minded players gives him the freedom to kind of roam into spaces and pick out the pockets of space that he wants to operate in but not only get receive the ball there and retain possession as Tuchel would have told him to do but he was actually picking his head up and taking the, and picking out the risky passes granted they were risky but if they're in the final third and that pass and that run is on you make the pass even if you fuck it up you're still doing the right thing there's still nothing to get to to really get mad at him about and i think the frustration with Mason Mount early on at least this season was that he wasn't making the killer pass. He wasn't shooting when he was supposed to shoot. He just seemed to kind of play it a little bit safe, I guess, for lack of a yeah. better word. So what did you see in this game from Mount? And sort of explain his role under Potter and how it differs from you know, his role under
1: Tommy Tukul. I mean, for one, the guy's not tied to be just in one side of the field or... You know you have to pass it out wide, and then pass it just to feet, and your back is turned to goal. He basically was given fr- freedom, just complete freedom when it came to how he joined the attack. Defensively, it's simple: we lose the ball, you press the shit out of people. Um, yeah, honestly, like you're in the middle, wreak havoc in the middle. You're you're not gonna go played left back but if the ball is in the middle or anywhere near you you should be around it I think that he's also just given freedom to float to where the game allowed him to I think that because of the way the game was going he was leaning more towards the left side you know I mentioned how Polisic plays a little bit wider so he's coming up to, to to connect with Polisic where Again, under Tuchel, it would be very, very strict as to when he can go certain places and what kind of passes are allowed for him to go there. With with Dave pushing so far high on the right side, Connor got to shift a little more central, which allowed Mason to then be a little bit more towards the left side of the attack. So there's there's less rigid, like less structure in terms of what he can and can't do. And then again, you mentioned the risky passes. But he's just allowed to, to think more direct in, in the vertical aspect of it all. Like the p- passes into Polisic in space, the passes to, Ka- to Kai, the passes to, for, for even Connor to run into, specifically the, the Polisic assist.
0: Ridiculous.
1: It's he, he didn't even look up. It was like, a I think he's still there, and I think he's making the run. Let's see what happens. That would be something that... Tuchel would have lost his mind over, but Grand Potter would have been at least, you know, we're at least trying to, it's when players this age are told what they can't do, you're doing such a, like this, what disfavor. This I don't know what the right word is, but you're just. The service. Completely, thank you. The service to their ability to create and to find solutions by themselves, because you're telling them that the system finds the solution. But yeah. in reality, those elite players find the result. Like they're the ones that break tactics. They break whatever system they play against and and little things like that. I'm not saying that this was like a crazy through three people, nutmegs the third defender, Kevin De Bruyne an assist. That's how it starts. It starts by you willing to to take those chances and then you learn what passes you're able to consistently try to create. And, and just letting them experiment with the attack your role is to be behind the striker you're trying to feed the striker or the two guys lateral to you that is your primary job and then you can get open and score yourself i still think his shooting boots are, are lacking a little bit and that's the only complaint i can actually have of his game today That he's just his shooting boots are not there yet he's he's going too much to the front post and just needs to like make a chill pill
0: Yeah, it's weird because his technical ability is is probably second to Reese's on the team in terms of just like hitting a dead ball. And uh, for some reason, he can't hit a ball that's rolling, which is weird. Um, But no, I, I think I'm glad you mentioned De Bruyne because for me, that's kind of what his role looked like in this game where, you know, Kevin De Bruyne just basically gets he doesn't really get deployed in a certain position. He just gets deployed in general and gets the freedom to roam and pick out the spaces that he wants to to sort of operate in and I mean you see De Bruyne on the right-hand side the left-hand side sometimes you see him playing as a furthest player up the pitch you know it's just a matter of the situation the opponent and where this where they're giving you space and um, it makes you a lot harder to defend in that aspect and I think that's something that Graham Potter has really has an understanding of especially with our attacking players you know we're talking about their freedom in the attacking third when you give an attacking player, and I know this because I was, I, I was a defender when I played, but you know when I had an attacker that was given instruction, it was very obvious in terms of how I was able to defend them. They only make vertical runs. You know. They're only passing to specific players, or they're not even looking up at the goal. They're just receiving the ball, picking up their head, and just keeping possession. The hardest players for me to defend were the players that were unpredictable, the players that could pass, shoot, dribble, dummy, you know, running behind, body me up. And I think that's, that's the role that Mason Mount is kind of taking on board here. And not just him, all of the attackers. You know, you mentioned Pulisic earlier. He's most dangerous when he receives the ball facing goal. Well, he received the ball every single time in this match facing goal, and that's why he looked so dangerous. Same thing for Connor Gallagher. I mean, you cannot give him any space within 30 yards of the box because he's going to stick it in the top corner. He's already proved it. And now Mason Mount is starting to fall into that category now where he can, where he can not necessarily be a De Bruyne, but like you said, this is kind of where his real player development as an elite footballer sort of takes shape. And we really start to see what he's going to look like five, six, seven years from now, what type of player he'll be. So I think sky's the limit still for him, you know? Granted, we were down on him the last couple weeks, but rightly so. When the performances are crap, we're going to call it out as we see it. And, and I think that's fair. Because we know
1: he's better. Because yeah. we know he's better. He's taught yeah. us to, to expect better. And and that's mm-hmm. all it is. And, and, and again, you, again, we're not saying, like you said, we're not saying he's going to be De Bruyne. There is a variety of versions of number 10s out there. like. We've heard the comparison a million times. Maybe it'll be more like Frank Lampard. Lampard wasn't trying to to curve the ball around three players to get to their striker. He would just find the easy through ball to his strikers and they would do the job. Or to the wide players, he runs to the middle and scores. So like, we're not saying that he has to be this like on Mata level creator. We're saying like, he's figuring out the the profile of 10 that he that he needs to... That he can be whether yeah. that is an outright creator whether that is more of a late run guy or whether that is just like a i can do a little bit of both i'm not going to get you 30 assists but i can get you 10 assists and 12 goals like it's just a matter of allowing him to figure that out rather yeah. than like you said X is and o's everything uh option one is this if that's not there move on to line number seven like no that's not how yeah. the game works. This isn't American football where there's play calling every two seconds.
0: And I, I, I've seen this on Twitter too where, where some people, and I, I, don't, it, I don't really know how I feel about it, but some people are attributing this new like run of form that he's on, or not run of form because it's only been one game, but they're talking about this performance and saying, oh, well, the difference is he's that, like he, he, he looks like he's enjoying his football more. Right, He looks more relaxed. He looks like he's not under that much pressure to, like I keep harping on this, but retain possession and not fuck up what the team's trying to do. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's almost like he's taking more responsibility. And now that I'm talking about it out loud on the podcast, I actually do agree with it. Because I think a lot of it does have to do with that. When you're a player and, and, and you're only worried about the mistakes that you're going to make, or worried about not making a mistake, you're going to make the mistake. The teams that are the most fluid are teams that are not afraid to fuck up. And you look at Manchester City this year. You look at Liverpool the last three or four years barring this year. Look at Arsenal this year. They're not afraid to fuck up, and they're killing teams, right? So I think if Mason Mount keeps this mindset and just kind of goes into every match as, okay, I'm not expected to score or assist every single match. Let me just find what... Let me find how I can be... Contribute how I could contribute to the attack in this particular game And I think his role is gonna change game by game by game because he's so early on in his career But not only that I think To say that you know again We're not saying he's any of these guys But he could play a De Bruyne type role like he did against Wolves where he becomes the provider for players And then we've also seen other games where he can be the finisher and be that more clinical player that can sort of make that late run into the box and stick one in so His role is going to vary from match to match. But in terms of him being a productive attacker, I think the key is to keep him in the headspace of your only responsibility is to just be you. Don't worry about the team. Don't worry about keeping possession. Don't even worry about the defensive side of the game so much. Just be you. Find your place in this game as Mason Mount, not anybody else. Um, Anything else you want to add, Andres? I I could keep ranting about Mount all day. Um, let's move on though. I did want to talk about Graham Potter before we kind of close up this match. Um, we've seen how many matches under him now? Four, one draw, yeah. three wins, one draw, and three wins. So, you know, I think we only conceded two goals in that whole spin, which is,
1: yeah, two, right? Salzburg and Palace,
0: Palace, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, two, um but it's it's not just the defensive side or the attacking side you know i think the first place to start here especially with this performance was that he just got the team selection and the rotation the man management all of the above spot fucking on
1: and i mean he did and, and he was asked about it post match and he's saying like oh well, we won so like yes i got it right but it doesn't mean that i didn't think twice about what happens if i don't you know, mm-hmm. he, he said that these players deserved it and then of course they paid him back by getting the three nil. But if this game goes another way, the question is, why didn't Obama start? Why didn't your leading scorer in Sterling come on? Mm-hmm. And and so for him to be able to explain like, well, he knew these players could do could could get minutes and that they could do something here. And he he said, I mean, my bench was loaded. If if things went sour, I was ready. Five subs, you know. Sterling, Kova, Alba, like you name it, he could have brought them on. Reese James. Reese James. But then he's also thinking, well, Kovacic just dealt with a knee injury that's kind of been bugging him, and he's played three games in a row. Mm -hmm. Diago Silva has had a cold or a fever or something for a week, and after the AC Milan game, I'm not going to get put him out there again. Chillwell's played three matches in a row, and he's coming off of an ACL. So the fact that he's willing and showing the guys who aren't getting all the minutes they want that they will get a call—it's not just going to be like we said, injury is the only way you get into the starting eleven, and it may not be in your position. No, he's going to use the squad. And he's going to get the most out of this depth, w- within reason. Yeah, like, we're not suddenly going to see Cassidy and Xavier Simmons starting a game against fucking West Ham. But Chuck Chukwameka got his first couple minutes.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that. He, he kind of tore a page out of, like, vintage Mourinho's book where whenever we had a comfortable win, he would bring one surprise youth player off the bench, you know, just to kind of get a little bit. And, and that was usually, like, either Loftus-Cheek and thinking, I don't know if he fielded Chalaba, but that was more under Conte. Blanke. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dom Solanke. We we saw uh, Izzy Brown under Mourinho, too, at one point, I remember, yeah. which was kind of weird. Uh, shout out Izzy Brown. I don't know where he is now, but you know, cop him. Um, the other thing that I, I want to talk about with Potter specifically is a possession. And for me, when I was watching this game, not only are the passing patterns there, the ball is just fizzing and zipping around the pitch way quicker than it ever was under Tuchel. and. I think that's what you know you could attribute to our our sort of newfound goal scoring touch because we're getting we're finding those passes half second sooner than we normally would. Yeah. But I think this is the way we dominate teams, you know, especially under Graham Potter. And and I know he wants to be a solid defensive unit like, like the one he had at Brighton. But I think he also acknowledges the attacking part of the game and, and Puts more respect towards scoring a goal as opposed to conceding one um, than managers that we've had previously. You know, defensive minded like Conte, Mourinho, yeah. Tuchel. Cool. Now we have a guy that comes in and he wants to score goals and also defend well. And it's really starting to show itself with the way we possess the ball and the type of movements that we make when we possess the ball. We don't get caught on the counter very often. We always have at least two of our, our uh, two of our defenders staying back at all times, regardless of any situation. It just looks a lot more organized and a lot more fluid.
1: And, and you said you called it possession. I'm going to say the lack thereof. We don't need to possess over 70% of the, the match to get these goals. And Potter is showing mm-hmm. that. he's Like you said, he wants to get the goals, so he understands that we can't just pass left and right all game to get that. Sometimes you need to catch the opponents off guard and take that risk. We had 55% possession, I believe, against Wolves. And I, and against uh, Milan, it was only like 51 or 52%. Mm. We don't need to pass the ball 600 times to get to the finish line. And mm. I think that does bring a little bit more life to these players and a little bit more, you know, we're not just preventing the other team from scoring because they'll never touch the ball, and that's the only way we can do that, number one. And number two, it tells the players, I trust that if we lose the ball, you're going to get it back. Yeah, you, we that's haven't, the other thing. We haven't seen... Like, why, why did we lose to Zagreb? Because we were trying There to was prevent, zero counter press. No, zero. We were, just, we were trying to win the game by not letting them have a chance. So the one time they have a chance... We get, we get caught red-handed because mm. it was the one time that we're like, oh, crap, we're supposed to defend now. You know, like, if you are going back and forth, toe-to-toe, punching and trying to take that knockout hit, you're going to have to take a couple hits yourself and be ready for them. And that's what this team is showing. Like, we played a double pivot with Jorginho and it didn't scare me. While watching. Jorginho and ROC. <laughs> while watching, while watching. I do need to say while watching because the, yeah, the lineup yeah, yeah. did scare the shit out of me. Yeah, um, it did but the fact is is like the number like possession numbers don't get you goals like possession numbers do not translate to goals and and i remember that being like the biggest thing like when people were super obsessed with like the the pep barcelona's and during the time they started losing before he left and took the the sabbatical it was like Mm -hmm. you don't need 80 percent possession you just need to do your job when you have that twenty percent and get the ball in the back of the net. And that's it. Potter's yeah. doing it with fifty five percent. We've been rocking seventy percent possession for the past three years and barely scraping a one nil victory. Back-to-back I think back games. Back to back three nil games.
0: Yeah. When was the last time that happened?
1: Well, I I would love to know. I could well, last... Ancelotti. Under Ancelotti, maybe. <laughs> that's my best someone... guess.
0: If someone's if someone is uh if someone wants to look that up, please let us know. When the at last us. time we, we won back to back, free we would
1: gladly like to know this. Hell, yeah. Message, message our friend Sam at CFC Central Three. He might know.
0: <laughs> Shout out Sam. Um, but Andres, you mentioned something interesting. You know, the lack of possession. Like in terms of the numbers on paper, it looks like we're possessing less, but. I think that could be attributed to the types of passes that we're attempting and the speed yeah, no, of play. Of like I did mention, yeah, I think I think those are huge factors. If you're making riskier passes, you're going to turn the ball over a lot more often.
1: And but another allows, difference, I was going to say, it also allows for the counter pressing. If you're that, taking that's the risky what I was going to get to, or exactly. you lose the ball, but you're ready to snap up at it because uh-huh. it's now 30 yards further down the pitch. Let's say once out of five times you do get the ball back. And they're in disarray because the moment they wanted, they thought they were going to spring forward and then you've got the numbers again. So it all plays into like what you're trying to do.
0: There's a very, very big emphasis placed on the counter press. That's so noticeable compared to, you know, to I know I keep going back and comparing Potter to Tuchel, but listen, (laughs) this is the guy that replaced him. So you kind of have to make the comparisons here and there. And, and this is a, probably the one of the bigger contrasts, at least towards the end of Tuchel, was we weren't counter-pressing whatsoever, and we weren't winning the ball in good positions. Look at the types of goals that we're scoring, Andres. Like, the Aubameyang goal against Palace. How many passes led up to that goal? Less than 10. You know, like... Less than five, probably, if I watch it back. You know, the the same thing goes for the Brojo goal. It wasn't a result of us being fucking Pep's Barcelona making 38 passes leading up to, you know, a tap-in at the end. Had nothing to do with that. It was a matter of our striker in the attacking third, confident as hell, seeing a 1v1 opportunity that he could take advantage of and sticking one in the back of the net. Those goals are way prettier to me than watching a 58-goal build up and seeing it happen at the end. Granted, I do have an appreciation for that, and it's great if you were able to make it happen, but Potter knows that we can't make that happen with this group of players, right? He's taking advantage of our strengths, and it's paying off, man. The last thing I had here was the, was the final third, and that he actually lets them play, but we've been harping on that the entire <laughs> podcast, so I think right. we can kind of skip over that. Um, we did have two questions in relation to Potter, and and you can take this one because I'll I'll, I'll agree with your answer because I know what you're going to say. At Black Emoji asks us two questions. The first one being, are we going to play a different formation every game?
1: Hey, who knows? At this point, I really don't care. Like yeah. whatever he puts out, I'm gonna trust at this point. I've seen we used to be four confused. formations now. Yeah, five. We he saw a
0: 4 2 a 3-5-2, a 3-4-3, a 4-2-3-1.
1: And the 3-3-3-1 three, 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 thing that he likes to do.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we've seen like five or six formations at least.
1: Like at this point, what haven't we seen? He played the straight up 2-3-4-3 three, three already, the 4-2-2-2, 4-2-3-1. Two, 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 there was shades of a 4-3-3 three, three against Palace at one point. I mean, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. As long as his philosophy and how he wants to get the ball moving continues to, to kind of get ingrained into these guys' heads, the better. And I know that like people might think, oh, you know, this schedule is not good because he doesn't get to spend time on the training pitch. I think it's the opposite. I think that applying, like, kind of like throwing them into the deep end, and and having to do it against competition rather than like against themselves in training is is probably helping them out a little bit. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Totally agreed. Um, The second question he asked
1: was Chelsea stock on the rise or is this a new manager bounce? It's stock on the rise. We knew this team was better than what the results were showing. We knew that there was like talent in this squad from the worst player to the very best player and, and that the results were not showing. We felt that the attackers had shackles on them. We felt that the defenders for some reason played extremely nervous. I think this is stock on the rise. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying we're going to beat, like we're going to come out here and, and be contending with city. But I'm saying like my, my fear of like barely making top four from the beginning of the season. Now I'm like, can we push because Liverpool is very bad right now. I don't know. Yeah, what the hell They play on city there. next week too. It's, it's can we push because this is the weirder part about it all. Is like can we push Arsenal and get second place? Like can we make that leapfrog? Like I don't think that's too far fetched because right now I think now we could
0: go on a run and and put put together a you know an, an unbeaten streak because I'm Arsenal's undefeated. Arsenal They're going to lose. I meant at Arsenal some getting point.
1: second may sound far fetched, but I think it's slowly becoming something to like think about. Yeah, I'm of saying course. I think City will run away with it like I'm mm-hmm. sorry like I'm that it is what it is but I do see a chance for us to be like contending for second place and I don't yeah. mean I don't I don't think I don't think it should be taken as an overreaction because again I do believe that the roster on paper can perform to that level and the fact that the second best team on paper Liverpool are just playing like ass so
0: yeah um couple a couple more Twitter questions here. Ron asked us, feeling really good about our guys, and since he did that lap around the pitch, what's your favorite Diego Costa moment?
1: I just have a very vivid like memory of things under Conte season one where or was it Conte or Mourinho I I might be confusing the two seasons but there was a point where we were either damn, shit I can't remember the point is we were either in first place or or chasing first place and it was during the crazy parts of the December calendar we were playing West Brom specifically and in this game like nothing was going like West always. Ham it was no no, oh, no, no, no. was it West not, Brom not, Yeah, it was West Brom. I remember, like, we weren't creating much and and nothing looked like it was going to go into the back of the net. And then Diego Costa, like, pressed the defender Mm -hmm. and dribbled almost, like, parallel to the end line to where his angle to shoot was just, like, XG probably was, like, 0.01. But he stole the ball, ran at the keeper, and just blasted it. And we won 1-0. And it was, like, yeah. he created something out of nothing in like minute 86. And that was like a vital three points in what was eventually a title winning season. So that for some reason just has stuck with me. And, and that's my favorite Diego moment. I,
0: I would probably say his interviews were my favorite because he couldn't speak a lick of English and he always had to have a player there translate. And he was just, he was just kind of a silly goose, right? Like here, here, Here's actually here's a good one. Our champ our uh, the celebration when we won the Premier League after Michi scored the winner against West Brom funnily enough. But Diego Costa's in a dressing room shirtless, double fisting beers in his undies before <laughs> anybody else. <laughs> he was the first one to completely strip down butt ass damn near butt ass naked um those videos of him are just hilarious of him jumping up and down screaming like a madman but he he really was a a wild animal on the pitch and uh yeah i miss him a lot but you know what to be honest with you the fact that he walked around the entire pitch and decided on his on his own will that he was going to do a lap of honor was the most diego costa thing i've ever heard in my life it was really funny. But yeah, if I was there, I would have stood up and clapped for him too because he deserves it.
1: His, his interview was really nice too because they asked him about it and he kind of clarified it. Like, I didn't leave in bad terms with the club. Conte yeah. just fucking sucks. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's basically the 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 spark notes. He's like, all. I left
0: because of that manager.
1: Yeah, exactly. So glad to see the fans. No love lost there. And, yeah. And, oh, of course, a special winning 2-0 winning at the time of him leaving the pitch was obviously makes it easier to chant his name.
0: Yeah. Um, last question here from at CFC Ronnie. He asked Potter seems to be weaving his magic. I'm loving the Gallagher and Mount link up, but the midfield is what Potter needs to work out. Do we think it's our last or do you think it's our last season for, or the last season for J five, Kova and Conte? I do. What do you think? Well, well, actually, could I take this one first? Sure. Because I feel pretty strongly about this one. I think okay. for Conte, I think the writing's on the wall. I There's n- never been a bad report about Conte ever being displeased or upset about being at Chelsea. And this was the very first one that came out. And I believe it. Because we would have signed him to an extension by now. The guy is a club legend. And if we were really planning on bringing him back he would have been signed up a long time ago wouldn't have gotten this late into the contract talks that's my take on Conte um I think it's the right decision as long as we could get a replacement for him but for Jorginho I think that one's kind of up in the air a little bit the thing with Jorginho is I know Bowley probably understands that he can get some sort of value back for him so I feel like with his negotiations in terms of Either selling him in terms of selling him are gonna be kind of difficult. We're gonna play hardball and we're gonna try and get top dollar for him. And I really think the only other clubs that might be interested in him besides Barcelona because now they're interested in everybody these days, is a club in Italy. Um, but I do think it's likely that Jorginho goes. In terms of Kovacic, if we sell Mateo Kovacic, I will riot. I will fly my ass to London and start a riot myself. And I know Andres will come with me.
1: Yeah. Well, here's the way I read this. And I think like the way I read it was those were our three mainstays in the 11. And at first when I read this, the question, I was like, I don't know about that. And then now the more I think about it, I agree with Ronnie. I think next season, those three names, if if even they're still here, Kovacic is the only one that will still be here. He's not getting sold. But if those three names have amongst the top five minutes played or starts, I would be extremely, and I mean extremely shocked. We are obviously we have two more windows until the beginning of next season, but Jorginho's already like he didn't start against Milan, you know, like he isn't something tells me that he's not gonna be getting as many not... starts as he used to be. Yeah. And then Conte, and the fact that he's in the last year of his contract. Conte still healing, still not, you know, fit enough to get minutes. I I don't know if I'm on the same boat as you thinking that like the negotiations are over. I just don't know if we're going to want to keep risking not buying somebody else because Conte may be healthy. And then with Kovacic, I think like he can't stay healthy. Love the guy when he is. He's not going to give you more than 60% of a season. And and now he'll be pushing 29 years old, 30, and by the time the next contract offer comes. So I think like Conte, Jorginho, not going to be main contributors next year kovacic depends so in terms of this question i agree with ronnie i think it wouldn't be shocking to me if if in the summer we get that one big midfield target and then on top of that i might have to buy some rlc stock because he looks very comfortable right now and yeah Three if you're years an, ago, an England fan, years, you
0: should buy some RLC stock. He's, he four, he might even play his way into the England team.
1: Four years ago, under sorry, we all thought it. We got our guy. He's he's the real deal. And then we had a stupid charity match that ruined his leg. So I think he looks really good. I think he is he's another player. You talk about players that don't look like they're playing with like a short leash and they're afraid for their lives. Who knows, man? I I do think that the midfield will be the next. Na- like the attack is already going to be different, and we know it. The defense is already pretty much built, and it's all brand new. I'm not. Sh- I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked yeah. at all if those three names are no longer the mainstays.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess my point was for next season. I I don't imagine a world where Kovacic is sold.
1: No, I don't think um, he'll get sold. Again, I just don't yeah. think he'll be. First name of I the
0: can, team. Sheet I can see. I can see and understand why we would not potentially let him walk at the end of his contract if he's like thirty and the injuries continue and things like that. But um, we are kind of running out of time here, so I do want to move on to the AC Milan preview. This is the second match of the back-to-back against Milan. So two weeks in a row where we play them. Obviously, last time was at the Bridge. This time is at San Siro, one of the most historic and honestly one of the craziest atmospheres in world football um, for a Champions League match. So this match does take place on Tuesday. Um, If this weekend is any indication, just so you guys know, AC Milan did beat Juve 2-1. Teo Hernandez, who was not available against us. Oh, 2-0. Sorry. Sorry. 2-0. Teo Hernandez who was not available against us uh, last week. Did play against Juve and played very well. I did get a chance to watch a good chunk of the match, about an hour or so. Um, and for those of you that don't know, Teo Hernandez has been their player of the season for the last two seasons now? Because I know Rafa Leal won Serie A player of the season. So did they give did they give Leao player of the season for the team too? I'm not too sure. But I know sure Teo Hernandez has multiple seasons, multiple trophies in his cabinet uh, as AC Milan's player of the season. He's one of the best left backs in the world. Um, we know what we know about them, man. They don't play anything else besides the four-two-three-one. Um, we got a little bit, a little taste of the threat that Raphael poses um, last week. I know it was only one dribble that's been completed on Reese James all season, but if you're gonna get beat by any dribble, I think that was the one because he <laughs> took out Reese James and Chalaba in about four strides, which is ridiculous. The guy's six-two, strong, fast. And he dribbles like Raheem Sterling. It's, it's insane. His talent level is just through the roof. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I harped on it before, but they fucking sucked at the bridge last week. <laughs> and I don't expect that to happen this time around, you know, especially at the San Siro with the fans going crazy. They weren't expecting to lose against us. And now, you know, Salzburg might give them a little run for their money in the group. So if you're AC Milan's manager, you're giving them the pep talk pre-match and saying this is a must win. So I fully expect them to come out swinging. Um, how do you kind of see this match going?
1: I think it'll be a little bit tighter for sure. I don't expect to win 3-0. The thing, I, the thing that I, I don't think Pioli will be ready for is I don't fucking know how we're going to line up. <laughs> like Raheem Sterling, Aubameyang, Reese James, sure Roger. don't play play I just don't know in what shape are you gonna see them like it helps a lot that Rafael Leal is the laziest defender of all time so Reese James as long as he locks him down we'll still have a little bit of breathing room going forward I just don't think I just don't see us just going back to the 3-4-3 I think that it's one of those things where we can continue to keep them on their toes, and. Their keeper, like Mania, is still hurt. Like Teo helps a lot. Teo yeah. probably prevents the Reese James goal on last Wednesday.
0: I think he Tuesday prevents March. a lot of the Reese James crosses and dribbles and entries into the final third. Like all of the okay, above.
1: So, so then we still let's say like all of the above, we still win one nil.
0: Okay, that's and, your prediction. Uh, yeah, I'm and cool Sam
1: texted me. He said two two.
0: Oh, did he? I didn't even check my phone.
1: No, I'm kidding. But that's that's his prediction now. Every time he <laughs> two says two two, was a hard two, fought
0: match. Blah blah blah. Two um,
1: two, and it, the juju continues. He's got yeah. that talibow magic with that two two.
0: Yeah, I mean, why not? Have at it. I think we'll concede, just because Milan's really gonna be on it. I don't know when we'll concede, but I I, I am my guts telling me two one. I think we'll score more than one goal. We'll beat them. I don't think it's going to be a draw. But I'll tell you what, it's definitely not going to be a game for somebody with a weak stomach. It's going to be, you know, insane in terms of the energy. The tackles are going to be flying in. I'm sure there'll be a couple cards and heads clashing. There might even be a sending off. It's going to be one of those games. It just kind of has the feeling of it, especially based on the last performance. Um, You know, if you're a professional footballer with any pride and you get the opportunity to face a team that embarrassed you a week after they did embarrass you, I mean, you're going to come out there like a, like Muhammad Ali in his prime trying to get a knockout. So I fully expect them to do that. Um, I go 2-1. So yeah, with that being said, that is kind of the end of the show here. Um, if you're still listening, make sure you're following us on Twitter, at BluesOnParade. We do post a tweet. And a podcast after every match. Uh, The podcast um, follows the tweet. The tweet usually asks for questions. So if you didn't hear your name in this week's episode, it's because you didn't tweet us a question. Make sure you guys are asking us stuff. You might get a shout-out. It's pretty cool to uh, hear your name, you know, through the headphones or through your car speakers or wherever the fuck you're listening. But make sure you're asking us questions and interacting with us. And who knows, you might even get invited into our Discord group chat which is fucking awesome. It's probably one of my favorite uh, things that came out of even starting the podcast. So with that being said, hopefully we get a win at Milan and keep the blue flag flying high.